0: Well, for those of you who might not know me, my name is Luke. I'm one of the ruling elders here at Emmaus Road. And um, it is a pleasure to bring God's word to you this morning. I thank you for the opportunity. Um, Not that you had a choice. Um, If you'll please turn with me to Hosea chapter 8. You can find it in your worship guide. There are also Bibles in the back uh, if you need one. We'll be reading all of chapter 8 and through about half of chapter 9. And if you've been with us the past few weeks you'll remember that the book of Hosea opens with God commanding Hosea to take a prostitute as his wife. And after he does, she's unfaithful to him, but God commands him to go and redeem her and to be reconciled to her. And it's meant to be an analogy of our relationship with God. We are the unfaithful spouse who runs off on God, and yet he redeems us even though we are unworthy of his unrelenting love. So those were the first three chapters of the book, and now we're in a section where God is laying his case against Israel. He's showing them all of their unfaithfulness and what the consequences of their actions will be. Destruction and exile at the hands of the Assyrians. And yes, he is going to redeem them, but not before disciplining them. You know, as Dan said this a couple weeks ago, that our goal is to preach the whole counsel of God's word. And this is part of God's whole counsel. And it's it's a heavy passage. But even in these heavier passages, the Holy Spirit is active and his word is true. So let's read God's word together. Hosea 8. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone, Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up, and the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. Rejoice not, O Israel, exalt not like the peoples, for you have played the whore. Forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. Threshing floor and wine vat shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourner's bread to them. All who eat of it shall be defiled. For their bread, shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them. Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God. Yet a fouler snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of, the his, of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a heavy passage, and we pray that you would use it to help us to see our sin and to be convicted of it. Yet may we see your goodness even in a message that may be hard to hear. Speak to us through it and use it to form us into the image of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, from 2008 to 2011, I worked at an office depot here in Appleton, which is now closed. And without a doubt, I can tell you this is the least favorite job that I have ever had. I worked there for three years, but it felt like an eternity. And there were a lot of reasons why I didn't like this job, and frankly, I was in my early 20s. I had a bad attitude, and I was a pretty terrible employee. But one of the reasons I didn't like it was because of the ways that the customers treated me. I had customers yell at me for all sorts of reasons. Because we didn't have an item in stock, because prices were too high, because the office chair they bought three years ago from us was starting to get squeaky. People get real upset over office supplies, and it got so bad that sometimes people would threaten me. There was only ever one time where I was threatened with physical violence. Someone threatened to throw a printer at me. But the threat that people loved to use was, I'll just take my business elsewhere. Well, being the young slacker with the bad attitude that I was, I really didn't care if they went to shop somewhere else. Frankly, there were times when I was the one who suggested it. Like, there's an Office max right down the road, you can go there. I didn't care about their loyalty to our business. It meant nothing to me to lose a customer. I was even happy to see some of the more difficult people leave. Well, praise God that he doesn't treat us that way. He cares about our loyalty to him, our relationship with him. Because sometimes we are just as flippant as those shoppers. If God doesn't give me what I want, I'll take my business elsewhere. If my life isn't going how I wanted, I'll just turn to alcohol, Netflix, video games, pornography, food, food work, social media. We don't usually think these things through in that explicit way where we think, if God doesn't give me this, then I'm gonna go and do that, but that is what's going on in our hearts. Rather than bringing our anxieties, our hurts, our anger, our grief, our deepest longings, rather than bringing all these things to God, we turn to other things to solve our problems. Sometimes it's because God isn't solving our problems the way we want Him to. Sometimes it's because it doesn't feel like He's solving our problems at all. Other times it's because we've grown so distant to Him, it doesn't even cross our minds to bring the hard things to Him and lay them at His feet. Instead, we whore ourselves out. We give our love to whoever. And whatever will make us feel good for a minute. And it breaks God's heart as he watches his bride sleep around with anyone who bats his eyes at her. And as we'll see as we look at our passage today, our God is not one to be disregarded. We've got to remember as we read this passage, as we read Hosea, this message isn't primarily for all people. God's not just casting it out there for whoever might happen to hear it. No, this message is for a specific audience. It's not for the atheist friend of yours who might pop into your mind. It's not for the family member who just can't get it together that you might be thinking of. This message is for Israel, his chosen people. It's for the church, his chosen people. It's for me, and it's for you. So keep that in mind as we look at this passage today. And what we're going to see is that because we are God's chosen people, we should not disregard him. And there are three ways that this text warns us against disregarding God. First, we should not disregard his provision. Second, we should not disregard his holiness. And third, we should not disregard his warnings. So first... We should not disregard his provision. Verse 1 is kind of a summary statement of this whole section and really much of the book of Hosea. It says, One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. The vulture refers to Assyria. If you have the NIV, it refers to them as an eagle, but either way you look at it, it's a bird, a mighty bird that devours its prey, This is a warning to Israel, but not with the purpose that you might suspect. Verse 1 says, to set the trumpet to your lips. It's imagery of a watchman sounding the alarm as the enemy approaches. But God isn't telling them to fortify their walls and prepare for a fight. He's not really calling them to action at all. It's more like he's simply just telling them that they're about to reap what they've sown. And their response to this warning in verse 2, they cry out to him, My God, we, Israel, know you. Hey, it's us. Don't shoot. We love you. But their actions don't match their words. They have broken the covenant and rebelled against God. And it's not just talking about some one-time sin that they've committed. They've given themselves over to sin. And the chapter goes on to show some of these sins, the things that they're going to be punished for. Verse 4 says, They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. I think the NIV is helpful here. Uh, It translated this way. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. Israel had given up on consulting God when it came to choosing their leaders. They wanted to be independent of him. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. Verses 5 and 6 talk about a calf that they've set up as their idol. And if we look ahead to 9 and 10, we see that Israel has been turning even to other nations to help them, even bargaining with the Assyrians, the bad guys. They completely disregard God as they set up their own kings, their own idols, their own allies. They put all their hope into these things, convinced that they will be their saviors, rather than trusting in the power and the provision of the Savior who loves them. When, when I was in the fourth grade, um, I got a lot of detentions. I don't know what was going on with me that year, but I couldn't get my act together. I probably had at least one detention per week for the whole year. And after detention was over, all the rest of the students and teachers were gone, so I would just have to wait for my mom to come pick me up after she got out of work. One time, she was running a little late for some reason, and this was in the age where not everyone had a cell phone, so I couldn't just text her to see where she was at. So eventually, I thought I had to make a decision. And I decided maybe I should just walk home. It's only 15 miles away if I took the county highway. I could probably get home before dark, if I didn't get hit by a car. Well, just as I had made up my mind to start walking, my mom pulled up. And after I got in the car, I told her I was about to start walking home, and she just looked at me with horror in her eyes. She told me, under no circumstances are you ever to walk home alone. I will always be here to get you. As I was waiting outside that school, I had to make a decision. Trust in my mom or take matters into my own hands. The problem was that taking matters into my own hands would have been both inefficient and dangerous. It was far better for me to simply trust in my mom's provision. And why wouldn't I? She had never forgotten me in the past. She was smarter, stronger, more capable than me. And most of all, I knew that she loved me. She wasn't going to abandon me. It would be insane for 10-year-old me to walk home under those conditions. But that's what we do with God. All of redemptive history has shown us that he is faithful, that he is good, that he will provide for us, that we can return to him and be healed. But we still do what Israel did. We cast him aside and come up with our own schemes and devices to provide for us. It's easy to look back at Israel and think, how could they be so stupid? But we're just as guilty as them. We set up kings and princes without consulting God. And I don't mean just through electing government officials, though I I do think that applies. I mean any voice that we let speak into our lives with authority. Our kings might be the podcasts we listen to, the political party that we follow, the people who we spend time with. We often don't even consider if God is being honored by these kings and princes who are speaking into our lives and shaping us. We latch on to idols that are just as powerless as a golden calf. We chase after money, romantic relationships, comfort, the picture-perfect family or home. Each one of us Has idols. What does God promise to do with Israel's golden calf? He says he will break it to pieces. He will not share his chosen people with false gods. So return to him before he smashes your idol to pieces. It will not be pretty when he does. Verse eight says, when we sow the wind, we shall reap the whirlwind. This is an interesting analogy. Uh, Hosea is saying that when when we disregard God's provision and seek provision from other places, it's as futile as sowing the wind, and it's as destructive as reaping the whirlwind. When we look to other kings and idols to provide our hope, our comfort, our joy, whatever it might be, we are sowing wind. The problem is we're usually too thick-headed and stubborn to realize the futility of what we're doing, so God sends a whirlwind to get our attention. Is there something in your life that you need to surrender to God? Is there something that keeps you up at night, something you daydream about, something your life revolves around more than him? God may be calling you through this passage to surrender it to him. He may be warning you that if you don't, you will reap the whirlwind. So lay it all at God's feet. He will provide for you. He went far enough as to give up his son for those of us who love him. I think he'll continue to provide for those who he paid such a high price for. We are God's chosen people. Therefore, we should not disregard his provision, but we should also not disregard his holiness. Verses 11 through 14 show how Israel corrupted their religion. It's not that they had just turned away from God and started worshiping a different God. It's that they were worshiping many gods and Yahweh was just one among many for them. Verse 11 says they were building altars for sin offerings, meaning that they knew that they were sinful and needed to atone for their sins. But it goes on to say that even these sin altars have become to them places for sinning. They they weren't being genuine. They were just going through the motions of religion without actually dealing with the sin in their hearts. I wonder, does that sound familiar to you? Does that maybe sound like you? sounds like me. I can do all the church things I want, but God is not placated by them. You might be able to fool the person next to you into thinking you're something you're not, but God sees the depths of depravity in our hearts. And he is a holy God who does not accept false offerings and religious activity as payment for our sin if you think that going to church and tithing and taking communion, getting baptized, all good things that God has given us, but if you think these things are going to save you from the wrath of the holy God of Israel, you might want to think about whether you have saving faith to begin with. Well, Israel isn't just going through the motions of religion, but they're taking it even further Verse 13 says they were offering up meat sacrifices to God and then eating it. So not only were they just being disingenuous, they were also being self-indulgent and greedy. They were perverting the laws of God that he had given them for their own good and used them to serve their own self-interest. And we still see this today. We don't do this meat sacrifice thing, but we definitely use God to serve our own self-interest we twist his word to manipulate others and to justify our sin maybe we try to build an image around being a good christian so that other people will admire us we pray for self indulgent things we take these good things that he's given us and we be, we pervert them to serve ourselves and if we continue to live in this way we'll end up like israel Verse 12 says, Were I to write for him my laws by the 10,000s, they would be regarded as a strange thing. Israel was doing religious things, but their hearts had wandered so far from God that his laws would seem strange to them. In 2019, uh, a 26-year-old woman named Pollyanna Viana, she was living in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and she had to run some errands one day, so she called an Uber and waited for her ride. And as she was sitting on the curb waiting, a man came up to her and sat next to her, and he asked her for the time. And so when she took out her cell phone to check the time for him, he grabbed it. He was trying to steal it from her, but she, wasn't, she wouldn't let go. So he told her to let go, and he lifted up his shirt to show her that he had a gun. Well, what this man didn't know is that Pollyanna Viana was a UFC fighter and she was known by the nickname the Iron Maiden, which is not just a heavy metal band, but a medieval torture device. (laughs) And before this guy even knew what was happening, he was getting punched, kicked, and choked. And by the time she had subdued him, he was actually asking her just to call the police and stop hurting him. And the real kicker to this story is that the gun this guy had shown her wasn't even a real gun. It was a cardboard cutout. And she wasn't fooled by it for a second. He thought she was just another person he was going to be able to get something from. He thought he could fool her. He thought he could take advantage of her. And that's how Israel was treating God. That's how we treat God like we can take advantage of him, like we can continue to serve our own self-interest while wearing the facade of religion without ever having to worry about the consequences. But our God is holy, and he demands that we be holy too. Our works are not good enough to save us. Our religious activity is not good enough to save us. Some of us, if we actually read God's word and applied it to our lives, it might look very foreign to us. We've gotten so used to doing things our own way that God's way would be regarded as a strange thing. Well, God doesn't look the other way from the sin of his people. Verse 13 says he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. He is holy he will not continue to tolerate the perversion of his laws forever. And the solution, though, it's not just to try harder. The solution is to return to him. He will not hold your sin against you if you return to him in faith. If you have trusted in Christ alone as your Savior and your King, then he has another promise for you. He says in Jeremiah 31, that for those who know him, he will remember their sins no more. He doesn't desire punishing us. He's not cruel. In fact, he's made a way for us to be restored to him through faith in Christ. So do not disregard his holiness. Take your sin as seriously as he does. Be restored to him by running to the Savior who loves you. Well, finally, because we, are, because we are God's chosen people, we should not disregard his warnings. Moving on to chapter 9, this section was most likely preached to the people during the Feast of Booths. And it opens with the only command in this chapter, which is, Rejoice not, exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. This feast was supposed to be a time of celebration where they acknowledge the abundance of God's blessing on their crops, but Hosea is telling them their crops are not a sign of God's blessing. He calls them a prostitute's wages. In verse 3, he warns them that they will no longer be able to enjoy the fruit of the land if they continue in their disobedience. He says they will return to Egypt, which is his way of saying that they will be taken captive In a foreign land, not literally Egypt, but in a similar estate when they're taken off to Assyria in exile. In verses 4 through 6, he tells them that when they're in Assyria, they won't be having these festivals. There won't be any abundance to celebrate. They will be unable to sacrifice food to God because all the food they have will be for their hunger. The judgment that's coming is not going to be pretty but it's not as if they haven't been warned. But in verse 7, we see what they think of Hosea's warnings. They see the prophet as a fool, that the man of the spirit is mad. Hosea tells them in verse 8 that the prophet is the watchman of Israel, that he's on their side and he's trying to protect them. Yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They treat God's prophets like enemies because they're telling them things they don't want to hear, things they don't want to even entertain as being possible. Well, in 2010, uh, a woman and her boyfriend were visiting the Lincoln County Zoo in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and apparently they had been drinking that day. And when they got to the black bear exhibit, uh, this woman thought that it would be fun to try to feed the bears. So she walked past the warning signs. She climbed over the barriers, and she stuck her hand through the fence into the bear's cage. And you can guess what happened. The bear latched onto her hand, and in the struggle to break free, she ended up losing her thumb and her forefinger. Pretty dumb. I mean, it's, it's common sense not to stick your hand in the face of a bear. But just to be sure, the zoo still puts up warning signs and barriers if common sense isn't doing the job. When you disregard (laughs) warning signs, bad things happen. We have warning signs in God's word. And it's pretty dumb to ignore them. When we ignore God's warnings, his instructions, his desires for us, we're like a drunk lady sticking her hand in the face of a bear. Convinced that everything will be fine. God's not going to punish me. I'm not that bad compared to other people. God might punish others, but I'm different. You are not the exception to the rule. Jesus was the exception to the rule. The only one who didn't deserve punishment for sin. And yet, your sin, my sin, is so serious that our punishment was poured out on him and resulted in his death. Warning! Yes, there there are degrees of sin. Some sins are more heinous to God than others. But all sin is heinous enough to deserve eternal damnation. All sin is evil enough that only God could save you from running headlong into hell. You know, God's character doesn't change. The God of the Old Testament is the same God who sees our sin and the wickedness of our hearts today. So maybe we shouldn't think so fast as to presume that he won't punish us like he did Israel. He's the same God as always. So listen to his warnings. Hear his word and return to him. We do this thing with our kids where we count to three before giving them a consequence for bad behavior. And a lot of times they'll respond at the count of one, but uh, sometimes they push us all the way to three, even though they know that nothing good is coming. Well, here in Hosea, God is basically at 3. Israel has disregarded his provision. 1. They have disregarded his holiness. 2. And they've disregarded his warnings. 3. And now it's time for the consequences. And yet, just like when we discipline our kids, it's not meant just for the sake of punishment. It's not meant to be purely punitive. The ultimate purpose is restoration. You know, I've noticed that when I see someone else's kids misbehaving, sometimes it's kind of amusing. I mean, who hasn't chuckled at someone else's kids? When it's someone else's kids misbehaving, uh, they're just being mischievous, those little rascals. But when it's our kids, uh uh-uh. And I think there are probably some sinful reasons like pride for why I can have grace towards other kids more than I can for my own. But I think part of the reason why I take my kids' sin more seriously is because they're actually sinning against me. They're sinning against my wife. We're the ones who love them. We're the ones who sacrifice for them. We're the ones who take care of them every day. How could they sin against us? How could we sin against God? How could we disregard him and his ways when he's the one who created us? He's the one who loves us more than any parent could ever love their child. He's the one who provides the air in our lungs right now. He's the one who sacrificed his own son to save us from destruction. How can we disregard him so casually? Some of us in this room might be headed for punishment. But if you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that punishment is the loving discipline of a father who wants to restore you to him. But that doesn't mean it won't hurt. Some of us in this room might be headed for eternal punishment. But guess what? God wants you to be restored to him too. So whether you're a Christian or not, the solution is the same. Return to your Father who loves you. He's waiting for you with open arms. Christ has paid the price for your sins. He has made a way for you to be restored to him. The work is already done. The price has been paid. What love is this? So don't disregard your Father For another day. Don't put it off. Return to Him. He loves you. He's waiting for you. Run to Him and be restored. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who loves us enough to discipline us. Lord, we are sinful creatures who turn away from you on a daily basis. We need your help to be sanctified and to be changed. Help us to trust in your provision, to honor your holiness, and to listen to your warnings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.